0: We are glad you're here. Thank you to Ethan for reading our passage today. It's good to see you. We appreciate so much your presence. Thank you for coming our way. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. very grateful for those who do visit us on a regular basis. If you're looking for a church home, please consider the work here. Uh, We mentioned this morning that the Jacobs family lost Carolyn this past week within the last few days, and Jared and I had the opportunity to visit with George just the other day, and one of the things that he said, as many of you know, he's not been able to attend worship services in quite some time, and he said, watching by way of live stream is just not the same. And I agree with him. Now I'm grateful that we do stream our services, and for those who are sick and shut in, we're very grateful that they have access to Bible study and worship. But there's nothing like being in the presence of God's people. And God wants us to be together on the first day of the week. So we are very thankful for this opportunity. And if you are watching by way of live stream and you have not been able to come, we hope to see you very, very soon. We're looking today at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. The theme of our study today, the saints who were undaunted, opposition. You know, if you go back and you look at the teaching of Jesus, the Lord tried to prepare His disciples, that is, those who would be His followers, for problems and persecutions that would arise in time. You remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then in the book of John in chapter 7, Jesus would say to His disciples, The world cannot hate you. But it hates me, because I testify of it, that its works are evil. You remember when Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus? and He talked to Nicodemus, that teacher of Israel, about the new birth and the coming of the kingdom. Jesus identified himself as the one who came from God the Father. And it was Jesus who said that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. The men that you read about who are the apostles of Jesus, the disciples, they were men that had the opportunity to spend some three, three and a half years in the presence of Jesus. He taught them well. But the men you read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are quite different from the men that you read about in the book of Acts. Jesus had said to the apostles in the long ago that Peter would deny Him. And you remember it was said of the apostles that they all forsook Him and fled at His apprehension. And yet in Acts, the Bible tells us that these very men that had not been as strong as they should have been, became giants in the kingdom of God, very strong in their faith, unwilling to back down. They had a lot of courage, a lot of faith. So I want to talk for a moment or two about the saints who were undaunted by opposition. Now, in our text we're reading about Peter and John. And you remember Peter and John, by trade, were fishermen. And yet, they forsook all to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, we read about the birth of the New Testament church. Some 3,000 people obeying the gospel. And Luke's saying in verse 47 that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In chapter 3, the Bible tells us that there was a man who was lame from birth. He was a beggar, asking for alms. And when Peter and John passed by, you remember they said to him, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And that man that had been lame from birth arose and began to walk. What a great miracle. So we make the transition to chapter 4, and now we have conflict facing these saints. And so from Acts chapter 4 and following, what we see is the New Testament church growing rapidly. But in spite of the growth of the church, those who belong to the body of Christ faced severe persecution and trial and trouble, didn't they? And yet they were undaunted, unwilling to back up or back down. And really, what they had, we need today. Because the world we live in, in many ways, is not as favorable as it once was toward the Christian religion. And so, the question might come to the fore. Are we going to have the strength and fortitude to stand in the hour of trial. Now we know what we ought to do, but the question is, will we do it? Remember the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And so the idea is that those of us who are in Christ, yes, it's highly probable we're going to face persecution for our belief in the Christ. So what about their conflict? Well, there are two things that stand out. Number one, the opposition. Number two, the oppression of these saints. So with that in mind, pick up with me in Acts chapter 4 and listen to what Luke has to say concerning Peter and John. Now, they had been preaching, Peter had been preaching the resurrected Christ. And so in verse 1, the Bible says, As they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, why? That they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Why do you think that message drew the ire of the Sadducees? Well, I can tell you why, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so when the apostle... The Apostle Peter and the Apostle John preached about the resurrected Christ. They were eyewitnesses to Him. Listen, that was a radical message. And you think about the message that we preach and teach today. In a lost and dying world, the message that we want to share with people who are outside of Christ, in many ways, it's radical, isn't it? One of the reasons is because it calls upon us to make a change. There are a lot of people that would be happy to accept Christianity, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, if there was not the prerequisite to make a change, to repent, to give up the ways of the world, to conform, to not be transformed. So they were militantly opposed The Bible says in verse 3, they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now note verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. The following day we have a record of the high priest, Annas, Caiaphas, and their family members. The Sanhedrin council, And now they are going to call before them Peter and John. And they want to know by what power, what name have you done this great sign? So let's just think for a moment or two about the confession of the saints. I think it's interesting when you look at this account. They were crystal clear when it came to the sign that is the miracle. Furthermore, they were crystal clear. They were very candid about the Savior or the Messiah. They meant no words. Listen to what the text says. They asked, by what power? Verse 7. By what name have you done this? And the Bible says in verse 8 that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, rulers of the people and elders of Israel... If this day we are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, now note the indictment, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. By him this man stands before you whole. In other words, listen, it was by the power, the authority of Christ. But this man was raised from paralysis. And so, note verse 11. He said, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders and has become the chief cornerstone. Now the Lord Jesus Christ is not just the foundation of the church, but He is, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, the chief cornerstone, everything, rests upon the Christ. I mean, think about what Paul said, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He is the founder of the church and the foundation of the church. He is the chief cornerstone. So they wanted the Sanhedrin council to know, listen, This miracle that you have observed, this man that's now walking around, that was because of the power, the name of Christ. So they were very clear when it came to the sign, but also with regard to the Savior. Now, you've got to understand something. We're talking about the Jewish hierarchy here. The Sanhedrin Council composed of about 70 or 71 men, comprised of both Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees of that day were the elite, the aristocrats. So when Peter and John began preaching the gospel to these people, I mean, to understand, listen, they are a threat to the Jewish hierarchy. These guys are trying to protect their turf. And with regard to the council. Do you not know? Do you not think that there were some very powerful men present? Sure there were. But note what it said in verse 12. Peter said neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now you want to talk about a stinging message? A message that in many ways, ruffled feathers. So when we talk about Christ, the Son of God, and the fact that He is the Savior of the world, in a day and time when pluralism reigns supreme, when people have the idea, you believe what you want to believe, I believe what I want to believe, you follow who you want to follow, I'll follow who I want to follow. Judaism had been the long-standing religion, hadn't it? And yet when Jesus died on Calvary, He nailed that old law to the cross, didn't He? So now He has ushered in a new covenant. And it's on the basis of this new covenant that men and women have the opportunity to be saved. Do you think that they could remember what Jesus said back in John 14? When He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Me. Do you not think they understood the fact that Jesus Was the Savior of the world. That's who he was, that's who these guys were preaching and teaching about. They're preaching in Jesus the resurrection. Why? Because Christianity stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection. Without the resurrection of Christ, Christianity is dead in its tracks. So, the confession of the saints, but then. In the third place, note if you would, the command to the saints. And there are two things I want to share with you in this point. Number one, what they saw, that is what the council saw, and what they said. So look at verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. What what does Luke mean by that? when he says that the council members saw in these men that they were not educated, they weren't trained. Listen, they were not on par with Nicodemus. You remember Jesus identified Nicodemus in John chapter 3 as the ruler of Israel? They weren't on par with Gamaliel. Matter of fact, they had not been privileged to sit at the feet of Gamaliel, that esteemed teacher of the law as Saul of Tarsus did. So they had not been to any rabbinical school. They hadn't been formally trained or educated. Oh, but here's what the text says. They realized that they had been with Jesus. Therein lies the difference. For about three years, they spent a lot of time in the presence of Jesus. And they heard Him preach time and again, didn't they? And that message that he preached resonated in their hearts. As a matter of fact, Peter would say, in light of the fact that many of his disciples, that is many of the disciples of Christ, were bailing on him. And Jesus asked him, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we've come to believe and to know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. How'd they know that? The message, unparalleled. Never heard anything like that. Matter of fact, John says in John 7, verse 46, talking about Jesus, no man ever spoke like this man. Go back, if you would, and look at the Sermon on the Mount. And note Jesus saying, You have heard that it's been said by them of old time, but I say to you, inserting divine authority. Remember what Matthew said at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount? The people were astonished at His doctrine. Why? Because He taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. This guy was different. There was something special about Jesus. So not only had they listened to a divine message, but they saw the miracles that He performed day in and day out. They had seen the dead raised, sight given to the blind, the deaf that were able to here because of the power of Jesus they knew something about the one who had the ability to calm the winds and the sea to walk on water they saw Jesus as he cast out demons they knew something about this great miracle worker and they wanted these men to know that so again the text says they realized they had been with Jesus Here's a side point. Based upon the fact that they had spent about three years with Jesus, they were indicted because of their discipleship, weren't they? If for some reason things changed dramatically in this country and persecution were to be ramped up and those who claimed to follow Jesus were imprisoned, Would there be enough evidence to convict you as a child of God? Would your life be such that people would say, you know what, this guy was with Jesus. Or this lady, oh, she's a follower of Jesus. Isn't that what was said about Peter after the Lord was apprehended? They knew something was different about Peter. So what about you? Are you living in such a way so that people see Christ living in you? So we talk about what they saw, but what they say. Note the continuation. In verse 14, the Bible says, Seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, They conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They couldn't deny the fact that these men had performed an unbelievable feat. They had given this man the ability who had been lame from birth to walk again. That's incredible, isn't it? And they at least had the presence of mind to acknowledge that fact. But you remember Jesus talked about having an honest and a good heart? Were these men interested in truth? What was it, Jesus? What was it? Peter said, This is a stone that was rejected by you builders? They had rejected the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And so in verse 17, the Bible says, "...so that it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak no more in this name." Now look at verse 18. "...and they called them, and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus." If our government told you as a Christian, you can't share the gospel with anyone, you can't talk publicly about the Christ, you can't publicly say that Jesus is the Savior of the world, what would you do? Would you continue to teach other people about the Christ? Or would you be muzzled because Of what they said. So I want you to now think about the conviction of these men. I said a minute ago, you see a radical difference in the lives of these men. Men that had, at one time, under pressure, wilted. As the record said, they all forsook him and fled. But we're not talking about men that had been intimidated. But now we're talking about men who would not be intimidated. So here's what the record says. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you, more than to God, you judge. Now note, for we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. Now there are two things that we ought to take from this statement. Number one, these men had tremendous faith in the Lord. I mean, these guys, they had faith, didn't they? We talk about having rock-solid faith. You know, on one occasion, Jesus said to these men, Where's your faith? But now these guys demonstrate tremendous boldness in their faith, don't they? In the face of persecution, they were undaunted. They said, look, we can't but speak the things we've seen and heard. They had seen the Lord at work. They were witnesses to His resurrection. They fully believed that only through Jesus could people be saved, and they were not going to back down nor back up. Not going to do it. Here's what Paul said many years ago. I know whom I believed. Could that be said of you? I know whom I believed, And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. One of the reasons we need to be growing in our faith is because, as Paul said, that there's likely the time coming when we're going to be persecuted. And the question is are we going to have the faith to stand under pressure? Do you have that kind of faith today? when people mock and ridicule and laugh about Christ and His Word, when people try to minimize and marginalize what the Bible has to say about the church and redemption, are you willing to stand? I mean, do you have that kind of faith? But not only did they demonstrate great faith, but fervor when they said we can't but speak the things that we have seen and heard, let me tell you what, we need some of that today. We need to have the kind of faith that we are not willing to back down, I don't care what happens. Now we're going to preach and teach the truth in love. We're going to try to the best of our ability to be a shining light for good. But because our faith is so deep, And because our love for God continues to grow, we are not willing to compromise or concede the divine message. Now listen again to what Jesus said. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify of it that its works are evil. In John 15, verse 20, here's what Jesus said to the apostles, and He's talking exclusively to them. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Is it not the case that we today could be persecuted for righteousness' sake? Sure. But we've got to have a fervent spirit. Paul in Romans chapter 12 talks about being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now that takes a great faith, doesn't it? Think about the people in Laodicea. The Lord Jesus chided them because they weren't hot, they weren't cold. He said, You're lukewarm. The church will never be what it ought to be if we are lukewarm in our faith to God. It's only when we have tremendous faith in God and are willing to be motivated by that faith to stand for what's right and to do what's right. The world as we know it is going downstream. As children of God, we're trying to make our way upstream. And listen, sometimes the current is very strong. And if you don't think the current is strong today against Christianity. You need to wake up. You need to realize things have changed dramatically. And as Paul said, when you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you better mark it down. You can expect to be persecuted. It's just going to be a byproduct. Now, there is another thing I want to share with you along these lines. It has to do with their courage the courage of these saints. And I said a minute ago, these men were convicted. They were consecrated to God. Remember what Luke said, Acts 2, verse 42, about the early church? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I mean, these guys are dedicated, consecrated to the cause of Christ. If the work of the church in Olive Branch rested solely upon your shoulders... Would anybody in this city know anything about Christ in His church? Would they know anything about the resurrection of Christ? Would they? Would they know anything about New Testament Christianity? The cause that we plead. So what about their courage? I mean, were these guys courageous? The text tells us, look at verse 21. After the council had further threatened them, They let them go because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So what's the text say they did? Number one, they went back and shared with their fellow disciples the events that had transpired. And I think first and foremost to understand, these men began to pray to God. They prayed for boldness. When you pray to God, and you pray to God to help you be what you ought to be, do you ever pray that God will bless you with a bold spirit? That you'll have the boldness to stand as you ought to stand as a member of the body of Christ? To stand in a darkened world of sin for what's right, to be a voice for truth? Are you willing to make that kind of stand in this world? They were, and they prayed about it. I mean, these guys were willing to pray to God. They recognized they needed, they needed to pray, and they recognized that they needed God to bless them with a bold spirit. So not only did they pray for boldness, but the Bible says they preached with boldness. How do I know that? Let's look at very quickly at Acts 4 again. And look at verse 29. Luke records, they prayed, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to Your servants that with all boldness they may speak Your Word by stretching out Your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of Your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now note, and they spoke the Word of God with what? with boldness. Can I say today that we need to be bold Christians? We need to be bold in our faith to the point that we're not willing to compromise I don't care what the cost. Even if it were to cost us our life, we're not willing to back down from the message that we believe in. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we understand there is a hostile world out there, and there are a lot of people that they have no use for Christianity. But like Peter and John, we're going to drive our stake in the ground, and we're going to say, listen, the world may not like it, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Savior of the world. And there is a body that He has established. It's called the church And only those who obey the gospel become members of that body and then they have all the rights and privileges associated with that body. It's called spiritual blessings. The world needs the gospel. The devil wants to do everything within his power to minimize and marginalize the work of the church. Listen, the devil knows an open Bible He knows something about the power of God's Word. And so if somehow He can intimidate us through the world to the point where we're unwilling to open this book, read it, meditate upon it, internalize it, and then share it with others, He knows He's the victor. And we can't let that happen, can we? There are people in this community who are lost and dying in sin as we speak. And you know what they need? They need need to know about the Christ, the Son of God. They need the blood of Christ, and only the blood will wash away sin. These guys were undaunted by opposition. Times get tough. Things change in this world, and maybe the forces of evil are such that Christianity is under severe attack. My question to all of us, will we stand? Will we be as strong as we know we ought to be? You need to be ready. You need to be ready to fight. As Paul said, endure hardship as a good soldier, Jesus Christ. We are in a battle. And the only way that we're going to win is trust in the Lord and put our trust in Him to help us accomplish His cause. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to recognize that you need the cleansing power of the blood of His Son, that is Jesus, in your life. How can can you make that happen? Obey the gospel. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Peter said to that great number of people assembled in Jerusalem, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The Bible says God adds to the church those who comply with this message. And then to become disciples of His, to become His servants in a lost and dying world. If you need the prayers of the church, we'd encourage you to come. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.